I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, like Tyson mentioned, Dustin, who's one of the other pastors, is on sabbatical. And um, just so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning as we're starting a new series uh, entitled, Who Am I? Now, you can follow along this morning with us in the Bible app. Uh, so you can open up the Bible app and follow along there or scan this QR code. Um, and as <clears throat> you're turning there and as you're um, just starting to, to get prepared for this morning, I have a question for you, and it's this. How would you fill in this blank? I am blank. How would you fill in that statement? Now, for some of you, uh, you may say, I would fill in that blank as rich or as poor. Or I might say, I am young or I am old. You might say, I'm smart or I'm stupid. That I'm loved or I'm hated. That I'm single. That I'm married. That I'm widowed. That I'm divorced. I'm desirable. I'm undesirable. I'm successful. I'm a failure. I'm beautiful. I'm ugly. How would you fill in that blank? Sometimes the way we answer uh, that question uh, would be consciously. It would be something that we think about and would intentionally answer. And sometimes it may be unconsciously. That uh, we may not even recognize how we naturally would fill in that blank and answer that question. Maybe you've worked really, really hard at being able to put what you want in that blank. Or maybe others in your life have told you how you're supposed to fill in that blank for you. And sometimes things change. Several weeks or months or years ago, you may have put in that blank, I'm happy, I'm employed, I'm fulfilled, I'm secure, I'm safe, I'm healthy, I'm confident. And maybe something happened. Maybe something happened in your life. Something happened to you. Somebody said something to you and you would answer it differently today. Maybe you would say, today I'm anxious or unemployed or searching or scared or insecure or worried. And what we're going to do in this series is seek to answer this question. Who am I? And to do that, we're going to turn and begin our journey in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you can follow along with us if you'd like in the Bible app or if you brought your own. And we're going to start in verse 3 together, and these verses will be on the screen for us as we begin this journey. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church that he has helped to to start and to pastor at different seasons in the church's life. And here's what he says in chapter 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or it would be Peter, and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now this is a, uh, a pretty classic text that 
Even if you don't have a lot of experience in church, it's likely you've heard this passage read, especially as we enter into the Easter season. This week, as I was praying and thinking about where we as a church were going to go over the coming weeks as we just finish up our study in the book of Ruth last week, uh, we are starting to prepare for Easter. Believe it or not, we are in the season that we are now beginning to prepare for Easter. And so as I was praying and thinking through, this was one of the passages that I read in part of my preparation. And starting to think it from what perspective or what angle are we going to talk about Easter and prepare for um, our reflection and celebration and remembrance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is a classic passage that we read as a church and churches all over the world in preparation for Easter. A summary, the gospel in a nutshell. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus that redefines everything in this world. In the fall, if you were around in the fall, we actually studied the book of James. The same James that is referred to here. This would be the half-brother of Jesus. The guy who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God when Jesus was alive, but when he saw his brother resurrected from the grave, it changed everything. So we'll continue with this passage. In the next verse, Paul's going to tell us that not only did Jesus appear to all of these hundreds of others, but that Jesus even appeared to him. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So in just reflecting upon who he is and his life and his past, Paul calls himself one who's untimely born. It's actually a rather odd phrase. And it's actually this particular Greek word that we translate untimely born here is the only time it appears in the entire Bible, uh, especially the New Testament. And it literally just means a miscarriage or an abortion is what it means. That, that Paul felt like he was born in a state of, well, death. And then Jesus appeared to him. And then he calls himself the least of all the apostles because he persecuted the church of God. Because before he met Jesus resurrected, Paul saw it as his life mission to destroy everything that Jesus stood for and the church that Jesus had built. And then he met Jesus face to face. And again, it changed everything. And then I really want to look at the, just the first part of the next verse that Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Maybe as you think about your own life, you feel like you may be untimely born. Like you were just born into a situation of no life, just death. 
or that you just feel like you're the least of everyone. Like even when you think about yourself sitting in church this morning, maybe if you reflect on your past life, for you it's actually surprising that you're even sitting here today. And if you were to try to compare yourself to everyone else in this room, even though you don't know everyone else in this room, you'd say, I'm probably the least. And then Paul responds in his own reflection, but I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. How do you think Paul would have filled in that blank? As he reflected on this, what, what would Paul have said? Now here's, here's what I love about the passage we just read. Is that Paul is tying his identity, who he is, to the grace of God, and to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now here's what that means and why it's so powerful. Nowhere in the Bible are we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, ever promised a life that is free from pain and suffering. The Christian life is not a life free of pain and suffering. But if our identity is tied to the grace of God and to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it does mean that our identity is pain and suffering proof. Meaning that pain and suffering don't define who we are. That if our identity of who we are, if how we fill in that blank is tied to the grace of God and to the death and resurrection of Jesus, if that's where our identity comes from, then pain and suffering doesn't change how we answer that question. Now, as we think more about how Paul would answer that question, I want to go to another passage. This time it's going to be in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is going to talk again about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 2 Corinthians, meaning it's the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. That would be people who lived in the ancient city of Corinth. Interesting side note, it's not actually the second letter he wrote. It's probably the fourth letter he wrote, but the first and the third were lost to history. So we have the second and the fourth, but we call them the first and the second because that's what we have. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, here's what Paul says. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so now as Paul starts to reflect more on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he recognizes that there's a connection between us and Jesus' death and between us and Jesus' resurrection. That if we will identify with his death, then we too get to identify with his resurrection. And so here's what Paul says next. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. And so he's saying because of that death and resurrection of Jesus, we see 
And we understand and we know Jesus in a completely new manner. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it completely changes how we see and know and understand Jesus. That's what happened with his half-brother James. The man who didn't buy in to all of Jesus' claims until the resurrection. And it transformed his entire life. It's the same that's true with Paul. Paul, who fought against everything that Jesus stood for and everything that Jesus came to accomplish until he met Jesus resurrected. And it changed everything. Because of the death and the resurrection, it changes how we know and see and understand Jesus. But it also changes how we see others. That if, if the death and resurrection transforms how we see and know and understand Jesus, then it also transforms how we see and know and understand others. If we used to regard Jesus according to just what we could see and understand, according to human means, but that's been transformed, then, then shouldn't the way we look at other people be transformed too? Shouldn't we use a different standard to now understand others? But he's not done. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of the gospel, we see and we know and we understand even ourselves from a whole new paradigm, in a whole new light. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, how would you fill in that blank? As you think about who you are, how would you fill that in? And Paul would say, I am new. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. It is in Christ that our past no longer defines us. It is in Christ that our former disbelief and doubts and rejection no longer define us. It is in Christ that our former way of life, even if you had spent your life devoted trying to destroy Jesus and everything that he stood for, in Christ, the old things don't define you anymore. In Christ, you are new. We are new. Our circumstances don't define who we are. Our past actions don't define who we are. What others have told us does not define who we are. What others have done to us does not define who we are. In Christ, we are new. But not only are we new, but the Lord is at work doing a new thing in and through us. I want to look at three other texts in the Bible that talk about the Lord doing something new. And I want to show you how your circumstances 
what's taking place around you or to you does not define what God is at work doing. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Isaiah 43. So you can turn there if you'd like. It'll be on the screen. It's already laid out in the app for you. Let me give you the context of Isaiah 43. It's at this point that God is calling His people at first to remember all that God has been faithful to do in the past. Beginning with God leading these people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If you remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They had nothing to their name. They didn't even really have a name. And Jesus because of what he does for us, and we start to see foreshadows of it in the Old Testament, that God says, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to give you a place to call your own, and I'm going to give you a new identity. You are going to be my people. So Isaiah is reflecting. God is speaking to his people in Isaiah 43, and they're reflecting on all that God has done in the past. And then notice what he says in verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, and do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What's crazy here is is when God says, remember not the former things, in other places, he's actually commanded them to remember. To remember God's faithfulness in the past. To remember all that God has done for them. But he's beginning to prepare his people to look for something new. That's going to be so new and so revolutionary. That rather than focusing on the past, they should focus on what's to come. We celebrate. We remember what God has done. But we know that God is not defined by the past. He creates the future. And the Lord loves to do new things. So let me show you another one. This is going to come from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations, probably not a book you've read in a while. Unless you're on like a whole Bible reading plan. Lamentations in general is not a very happy book. As the prophet Jeremiah reflects on the pain and suffering that's going on around him as he laments what's taking place among his people, that right before his very eyes, the city of Jerusalem, the temple where they worship is being destroyed, that everything that God had given to his people when they left Egypt, the land, their own home and identity, he was seeing it crumble before him. And despite all the terrible things going on, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even in the midst of suffering and pain that Jeremiah was experiencing and witnessing, he remembers that every day, The Lord's mercies made available to us are new. And then one more. Revelation chapter 21. 
at the end. When God has completed His plan for His people and His creation, John, as he's reflecting on all the things that God has revealed and speaking to him in Revelation 21, says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am making all things new. Our God specializes in new. When we reflect on who we are, when we start to think about how we would fill in this blank, based on what we've done or what other people have told us or what we've accomplished or failed to accomplish, and as we remember that we are new. We are not a remodel. We're not just a fixer-upper. Where God tries to take what we have and just make it a little bit better. In Christ, we are new. Our entire identities are transformed. I want to look at one more passage as we close. In Romans chapter 6, Paul, who writes this letter as well, is going to continue to reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here he's going to reflect more on what it means to identify with the death of Jesus, like he talked about in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. When we identify with the death of Jesus, as other portions of the New Testament would talk about, when we identify with the death of Jesus through our faith in Him, and through our confession of Him as Lord, it's then represented in baptism. That just as someone who's baptized goes under the water, it represents their death and being buried with Christ. And then just in baptism, as we're raised out of the water, we are raised to the newness of life. That we are raised into a new life. That from that moment on, when we place our faith in Jesus and confess Him as our Lord, we are new. Is that true of you? When you reflect on who you are? When you think about filling in this blank, have you been made new? Because even in this moment, Jesus offers the opportunity to be made new. How would you fill in that blank?
how would you fill in that blank? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this moment that you've given to us. Lord, as we reflect on the power of your death and resurrection to transform us. That we are no longer defined by what happens to us, what others say about us, what labels we may put on ourselves or what others may put on us, but that in you we are new. I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed for just a moment. As we enter into a time of reflection and response. To reflect on the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And as we respond to that truth. That in Christ we are new. I want you to take a moment just right where you're seated to reflect on how you may answer that question, how you may fill in that blank. Who am I? I am. And you may have walked in here this morning carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders and a lot of baggage from life of what you've done, mistakes you've made, of what people have done to you, of what's been said to you or about you. And to take this moment moment to reflect on the truth that in Christ you are new. You're not defined by those things any longer. The old has gone and the new has come. For those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you identified with His death? The death He died for you. That as Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is your moment. Your moment to respond to the way in which God is moving in your heart right now. And maybe for some of you, this is that moment that you confess Him as Lord of your life. That you identify with His death. That your old self dies and in Christ you are resurrected to new life. This is your moment. As we respond, as we praise the name of Jesus, for giving us a new identity in Him. We invite you to the table. The table in the back of the room has the bread and the cup that represent the death Jesus died for you. That like that bread, His body was broken. And like that cup, His blood was poured out as a new covenant. And we celebrate that we are new because of his death and resurrection, and we celebrate and remember it at the table. And so I invite you to the table. His body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. As we celebrate our new identity 
in him. Lord, would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you. Whether we stay seated in prayer, whether we stand and sing and raise our hands to celebrate your holy name, when we approach the table, Lord, would you help us to respond in a way that is glorifying to you as we identify with your death so that we might share in a resurrection like yours that in you we might have new life. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that our past no longer defines us. Thank you that in you we are new.